My name is Susan Hauser, and I'm the Robert Zinman Scholar-in-Residence at the American Bankruptcy Institute for the fall of 2012. Um, my day job, I am a law professor at North Carolina Central University in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, today, um, I am talking with Dr. Vidan Goyal and Dr. Wei Wang, um, who are the authors of a paper uh, that's very, uh, very interesting, very topical, gotten a lot of interest from the bankruptcy bar. Um, the title of their paper is The Provision of Management Incentives in Bankrupt Firms. And if you would like to read a copy of their paper, it's available over the internet on the Social Science Research Network, ssrn.com. So you can access it that way. Um, Dr. Wang is an assistant professor and distinguished faculty fellow of finance at Queen's School of Business in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. Uh, he has a PhD in finance from Queen's University and a master's in economics from the University of Liverpool. Uh, his research interests currently are bankruptcy, distressed securities, active investors, capital structure, credit ratings, CEO compensation, and behavioral finance. Uh, Dr. Goyal is a professor of finance at Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. Uh, his research interests are empirical corporate finance with an emphasis on capital structure, um, debt contracts, mergers and acquisitions, corporate restructuring. Uh, he has a PhD in finance from the University of Pittsburgh and a master's of business administration from the University of Delhi. Um, so thank you for joining us today at the American Bankruptcy Institute uh, to talk about your paper. And um, just briefly, um, this is really from your introduction to your paper. Um, firms in bankruptcy, as bankruptcy lawyers who practice uh, in the commercial area know, frequently pay retention and incentive bonuses to key employees to persuade them to stay on with the firm uh, through the Chapter 11 process. And your paper uh, provides an empirical analysis of plans that do this. So you examine key employee retention plans in bankruptcy. Um, let's see, I have, have a number of questions about this, but Really, um, you you should be doing most of the talking at this uh, <laughs> about it. So, um, why don't you describe for us what a key employee retention plan is uh, as you as you uh, examined it and defined it? Maybe so, Professor uh, Goyo can start. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, so I think Susan, these are bonus plans that uh, bankrupt companies have in place. Uh, to pay retention and incentive bonuses to their critical employees. And the objective in these plans is to persuade these employees to stay with the firm throughout the restructuring process. Uh, at least that's what the firms are claiming, um, that, and that's why they have these, they have these in place. Uh, they are of two kinds. Some are retention-only plans. Uh, in retention-only plans, bonuses are paid if employees uh, stay with the firm. Uh, until a certain point in time, so they have a minimum stay provision, or they get bonuses if they stay with the firm until the plan is confirmed. Uh, in a typical plan, I think um, they cover 2% of the firm's employees, and that's what we find in our data. Um, about 80% of these plans include the CEO of the firm. Uh, almost all the plans include the non-CEO executives, 
and about and a lot of the plans include other employees as well. So uh, these plans are not just for the top executives; they are also for middle middle managers. Uh, so they cover uh, a large range of employees uh, in these plans. In looking at, I'd, I'd I'm really interested, actually, in some of the uh, conclusions that you found about about these plans, um, and also the different points of view on whether they work, the efficacy of them, and the purposes behind that. But before we get into that, this is an empirical study. So you studied, um, I think, 417 firms that went, or corporations primarily that went into bankruptcy, and. How did you obtain a data set of bankruptcy cases to study? Uh, so initially, we obtained a sample of uh, Chapter 11 filings uh, during 1996 and 2007 uh-huh. from the UCLA-Lapoki Bankruptcy Research Database. And this is our initial sample. Uh, it covers the large Chapter uh, 11 filings in the U.S., uh, very, very mm-hmm. large firms. And then uh, after that, we... Uh, uh, we collected the motions and orders filed uh, with the court and also uh, from the judge um, on these retention and the bonus plans. Uh, so it took us a lot of efforts to collect these motions and mm-hmm. orders. Uh, Pacer was a very good source to retrieve electronic filings um, through court dockets, but oftentimes we could not obtain electronic filings. We have to we have to resort to the bankruptcy mm-hmm. courts and uh, National Archives at various locations to obtain these hard copies of motions and orders to code uh, the key employee retention plan. So um, so you actually went behind the information that was in your original data set and, uh, and accessed the court files themselves to look at the motions and the orders that were, uh, were entered in the cases. And... Um, so, so the companies that you studied from 1996 to 2007, um, were these, in, and they were entirely Chapter 11 filings, obviously, um, were, were they all public no. companies as well? Uh-huh. They're all public companies. Uh, to defend public company, they must have filed with SEC uh, at least within three okay. years before bankruptcy. Okay. Um, so one of the questions uh, that I would, would have about your study, um, these types of plans are filed in all types of Chapter 11 cases, actually, and the majority of Chapter 11 cases would be in non-public companies. Uh, do you feel like that your findings can be extrapolated to non-public companies and smaller firms as well? Uh, I guess uh, we're not sure about smaller firms, uh, but for private companies, I think uh, our funding can be applied to private companies as well. Uh, the, the only thing, the only reason we did not uh, include private companies in our sample was because their data was not very available, such as firm level characteristics and mm-hmm. other control variables. Um, but uh, but I believe our funding should be applicable to other large, complex Chapter 11 filings, no matter mm-hmm. the private yeah. or public. That's, I wanted to, to make that point because I think that your topic um, is, is very practical um, for lawyers who practice in this area. I think these plans are very commonly used um, in uh, cases that are smaller than the ones than, that you studied, actually. So I think that... Um, a, a lot of the interest that your paper is generated is because of the fact that lawyers frequently use these plans in Chapter 11. Um, and 
the findings uh, that I'm going to ask you about, I think, are things that the debtor's bar would be highly interested in and also the creditor's bar. I mean, it really cuts across both sides of that aisle. So um, in, in reading your paper, uh, one of the things that, that I picked up was, or one of the points that you make, uh, is that there are two points of view on the efficacy of these plans. Um, people who have analyzed them both academically and at a political level uh, have sometimes criticized them and at other, other points of view supported them. Um, can you talk about these two points of view a little bit? One, one you refer to as uh, rent extraction or uh, an agency problem. Can you explain what that point of view of these plans is? So, okay, I, yeah, so let me answer that. So, so, Susan, you correctly pointed out that there is a lot of criticism of these plans. Um, there are a lot of media, art, newspaper articles that criticize mm -hmm. uh, payment of these bonuses. Uh, and that's typically the mm -hmm. rent extraction view. Uh, and there the view is that managers control the pay setting process uh, and they are paying themselves <laughs> large bonuses. Um, and I think the criticism is that uh, these plans are rewarding these failed and entrenched managers at a time when the firm is undergoing severe restructuring. They're closing factories, laying off workers, reducing wages, but then managers get paid these large bonuses. Uh, and it seems so unfair, I guess, to people that, you know, why should managers mm -hmm. be paid these bonuses uh, when they got these firms into trouble? So so that's that's been the common view mm -hmm. in, in the... Yeah, and that argument um, I also have seen made in court uh, by, by parties who are opposing um, the payment of retention bonuses or incentive bonuses to managers. So I, th I think that... Um, that, that argument is used frequently, and your study uh, actually examines whether or not that's a true point of view. So um, that, that kind of leads into to what did you find? Yeah, so, so let me also talk about the, the, mm -hmm. alter, the, the alternative view, I think, that the companies are putting forward, uh, and that's, mm -hmm. that's more of the efficient contracting view. Uh, and the companies are arguing that, you know, if these employees leave the firm, it's going to be highly disruptive. And, and there is a lot of turnover of management in bankruptcy. So bankrupt firms uh, see, a, see a huge amount of employee departures. Uh, and these are highly disruptive, and the loss of continuity, the high search and training cost, and the cost of delays in bankruptcy. And all these could be pretty costly um, if the firms have to deal with the, with the employee departures, especially critical employees. So, so they are arguing that... Uh, the, the cost of delays and the management costs, the search and training costs, are going to be far greater than the bonuses that we pay to these employees. So it's, it's more efficient, I think, from a contracting perspective uh, to pay these bonuses to employees uh, so that they can continue to stay with the firm and take the firm out of bankruptcy or, or lead to a successful resolution of bankruptcy. So, so those are the two opposite views. Uh, and I think when we started the paper, we didn't know which view would sort of uh, hold out in the data. So we were pretty agnostic about that. Uh, but we were surprised by the findings. We find that uh, there is no support hmm. for the rent extraction so, um, view. Uh, and we find, we find interesting. strong Interesting. So, so no support at all in the data for the rent extraction view, um, which, which for, for people who um, are not economists really translates into uh, 
managers are able to use their position within the firm to extract funds for themselves. Yeah. Um, so and, and so your data didn't bear that out at all. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think that's a very interesting conclusion and, and very yeah. useful in court for lawyers who practice in this area. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, Open, open uh, you realize uh, there's a high CEO turnover before bankruptcy. So oftentimes the CEO that's in place right before filing may not be the CEO liberal firm into distress. So I think we often see this uh, media attention to like Enron, WorldCom, this fraud case. That's how the public anger really, you know, <laughs> started. <laughs> but really, in large number of cases, you know, uh, we found that only 40% of CEO that are in place right before bankruptcy filing were incumbent or CEO that were in place three years before that. Mm-hmm. Most of them already got forced out. Hmm. Okay. So the manage there's not management continuity at that point as well. And yeah, you found you also found some conclusions that I think we we can get to um, about turnaround managers, which I think would be very useful for lawyers to know as well. But um, so in in terms of the the uh, conclusions that you found, your data uh, you found that the data really supports the efficient contracting solution. Right. right. So I, th- so I think specifically what we find is that uh, uh, bankruptcies in which there is greater creditor control, so uh, bankruptcies in which there is a creditor committee or uh, where there is debtor in possession financing, uh, these bankruptcies are more likely to offer retention and incentive bonuses. So so essentially uh, we looked for you know uh, measures of uh, creditor control uh, and we find that bankruptcies in which creditors have greater control uh, are the ones where we, we find these uh, retention and bonus plans uh, more commonly. So, so that was something, you know, uh, something we had not expected, but that's what we find hmm. in the data. Mm-hmm. So creditor control actually correlates uh, to the use of a key employee retention plan. And I, I'm using the term retention plan, which you, you – might rather have me use incentive plan at this point. Um, the and, and I guess that brings up another um, point that would be of major interest to um, to lawyers. Congress amended the bankruptcy code in 2005 and added Section 503C into the code, um, a section that made it much more difficult for courts to improve retention plans. Um, and um, your data set runs through 2007. So you have two years that are covered after Section 503C was added in. Um, did you see the impact of Section 503C in the data that you examined? Yeah, I think we did. So, so clearly, I think, first of all, let me preface that by saying that the amendment uh, to the bankruptcy code was uh, motivated by the rent extraction view. Uh, the Congress was concerned about managers, you know, paying themselves large bonuses. Uh, so the amendment made it really very difficult for companies to pay retention bonuses. Mm-hmm. So what we find in the data is that the retention-only plans, uh, retention plans, uh, virtually disappeared after the law came into effect. And uh, in 2006 and 2007, uh, firms were offering uh, plans with incentive bonuses. So. And, and, and just to clarify, I think uh, I talked about retention plans before. Uh, some of these plans also offer incentive bonuses, which are tied to specific mm-hmm. outcomes. So, 
So for example, employees could be given a bonus if the firm resolves uh, successfully, whether emerges out of bankruptcy, or these could be bonuses based on debt recovery or speed of restructuring. So, so some of these plans have incentive bonuses that are tied to you know, either sums of bankruptcy. So those plans are still allowed uh, under 503C, uh, and most companies have now switched to offering those kinds of bonuses, mm -hmm. rather than bonuses that are just uh, paid on minimum stay with the firm mm -hmm. uh, without, without being linked to specific uh, objectives. Yeah. So, um, so in, in, instead of offering a bonus to a key employee to simply remain with the firm, plans that we tend to see now offer incentives to those employers to meet certain goals. Um, so yes. what, what do those incentives look like uh, at present? What, what types of, of outcomes uh, do the incentives tie to? Uh, I think the incentives usually tie to uh, uh, the uh, emergence uh, or asset sales mm -hmm. and uh, even cash flows and enterprise values. At times, it could be tied to a speed of restructuring or mm -hmm. debt recovery explicitly. Um, so, uh, as you know, our sample stopped in 2000, end of 2007, but the practice has been pretty much uh, similar over the last five years from 2007. Mm -hmm. Just a couple cases, as you know, in Kodak case, the CEO bonus is tied to the emergence of the company. Mm -hmm. in, uh, in another case last year, uh, it's called the uh, Borders mm -hmm. case, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the bonus was tied to the speed of uh, restructuring, the sales, sales of assets. Mm -hmm. So uh, the price has been very similar over the last uh, about seven, six, seven years since the past of the uh, Bankruptcy uh, Abuse Prevention and Consumer Protection Act. Mm -hmm. And do, do you find or does your study find um, that these incentives actually work to uh, push the company to actually, or the managers, to achieve the, the goals that the incentive is tied to? Yeah, I think so we do. So, uh, I mean, we find that uh, in general these plans uh, improve outcomes for creditors. Mm -hmm. So when companies are offering bonuses that are uh, tied to emergence, uh, companies are more likely to emerge from bankruptcy and when they offer incentive bonuses that are tied to asset sale, uh, companies are more likely to liquidate. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so the nature of these incentives matter. Uh, we also find that incentive bonuses uh, uh, reduce the time that companies spend in bankruptcy. Those, so they spend less time in bankruptcy uh, when these incentive bonuses are offered. And there are also fewer violations of uh, absolute priority rule. Uh, so, so in short, I think... Uh, um, so it reduces, these bonuses reduce stockholders' ability to extract concessions from creditors. So, so, so overall, they improve outcomes for creditors mm -hmm. um, because they align managers' interests with those of creditors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's consistent with the fact that, that the um, bonuses are, bonus plans are put into place uh, when there's greater creditor control. So, so it, would seem, it would seem natural that they would, they, their interests would mm -hmm. be aligned. That's a, that's a very interesting conclusion, um, and it's one that I think is useful for um, the debtor's attorneys who may be in the position of proposing such a plan or the, the attorney who's in a position of pro proposing such a plan, um, that, that what you find is that the uh, existence of particularly of incentive plans, because I don't think you found the same uh, 
connection to positive creditor outcomes with a plan that's purely a retention plan. But incentive plans, you found very strong positive outcomes for creditors within the case. and uh, which, which seems like useful ammunition for lawyers who need to argue uh, for the adoption of such plans within bankruptcy court cases. Um, so, um, so very, uh, like very useful uh, study. Thank you. So, so one other thing. Um, so one other thing that I sort of uh, did not mention earlier was the fact that we find that these plans are put into place uh, when there is a greater threat of employee mm-hmm. turnover. So. The companies are actually thinking carefully about situations when uh, employees are more likely to leave, and they put these plans into place in those situations more mm-hmm. often. Uh, so, for example, if the firm is uh, headquartered in a in a in a geography where there are many other firms in the same industry, and you would expect employees are more likely likely to leave for better employment options in those cases, and that's where we see more of these plans uh, put into place. So, so, so again, it says that there is, I think, a valid reason for why companies are putting these plans. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I think this is a very important point uh, because the we're trying to justify the uh, reason why these firms adopt these plans, and really, really here we're we're documenting that one of the most important reasons that their employees are facing better outside job options, hmm. um, which. Actually, is um, also these are are again very interesting, very practical conclusions, and and it's interesting to tie them back into Section 503C, which was added into the Bankruptcy Code, um, and um, just to to give a little, um, you you actually summarize Section 503C in a way that um, kind of streamlines it. Uh, Section 503C. Uh, provides that a bankruptcy court can't authorize payments for retention to induce a person to stay with the debtor firm unless the court finds that that person has a bona fide job offer from another company at the same or higher compensation, the individual provides services that are essential, and the retention payment uh, is less than 10 times the average compensation of similar kind given to non-management employees during that year. So, uh, in in looking at that provision, um, and how you find that the data actually works when incentives are offered to uh, to managers, do you find that Section five hundred three C actually provides uh, or, or fulfills a valid policy by encouraging incentive plans? In other words, by dis- discouraging retention and encouraging incentives. So, so some of in our study, I mean, we do find that uh, incentive plans have, you know, um, have a bigger impact on on improved creditor outcomes, while retention plans have no effect uh, on, on outcomes for creditors. Uh, but we also don't find uh, support for the basic premise of the of the amendment that uh, there isn't extraction going on. So even in those cases where companies are offering retention plans. Um, mm-hmm. We don't find that the objective of those plans was to uh, transfer wealth from uh, creditors or lower-level employees to senior managers. Uh, so, so while I think the plan is having a good effect, uh, so the or the amendment is having a good effect in in the sense of uh, encouraging companies to adopt incentive-only plans or plans with incentive bonuses. Uh, 
But there is no there is no reason why I think uh, retention plans should be completely prohibited or you know or made more difficult. And also according to 503C, I think one provision you just mentioned was in words that um, the person has to have a bona fide job offer, and in practice it's very hard to observe who has job offers who don't. <laughs> so uh, we do the best we could to estimate their possible outside job option. Um, very interesting study, and um, I, I think um, is is there anything in any other points about the study that you would like to make that that I haven't hit in in my discussion of it with you? Yeah, where do you want to add something? Um, yeah, I guess we just have um, one one result um, on the CEO part. Um, yeah. So we we trying to study we collect information on the CEO characteristics. Um, of all the CEOs that are in place right before the curb adoption, uh, we find almost all the CEO characteristics do not explain the adoption curve except that one variable that is the CEO being a turnaround specialist. Um, so, so, so you know, this evidence adds further support on the uh, our argument against the rent extraction uh, view. So, so here, I mean, I think I should add that you know, we tried to look at different governance variables because. You know, the rent extraction, we would uh, predict that uh, these plans would be adopted by CEOs uh, in poorly governed firms because that's where there is no oversight of managers. Uh, if we don't find any evidence that you know, the governance has anything, anything to do with uh, whether CEOs are paid bonuses or not, so not a function of how the firm is governed. Uh, which means that you know firms are deciding optimally when to include the CEOs in the plan and when not to include the CEO in the plan. Yeah, I, you know, I th I found your study to be like very comprehensive and that you had considered um, all of the factors that I would have thought to consider as well, um, dealing with corporate governance and the different factors that that might. Uh, Impact uh, the 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 nature of these plans and the and the various motivations for them to be put in place. So, um, I uh, would would really like to thank you uh, for joining us today and um, taking your time uh, from opposite parts of the world actually to jo to join us uh, at the American Bankruptcy Institute um, today and talk about your paper uh, for. People who are are interested in uh, in accessing your paper and reading it, which uh, I, I think it would be at a minimum interesting reading for anyone who practices in this area, uh, and at a maximum something that could actually help form uh, a pretty strong argument uh, for an attorney who wants to advocate for the adoption of such a plan. Um, they can access it uh, on SSRN, so Social Science Research Network, uh, over the Internet. So um, thank you, and I enjoyed talking with you oh, very thank much. Thank you so thank much you, for thank having Thank you, Susan. Us. We enjoyed it. Thanks. So for the American Bankruptcy Institute, this is Professor Susan Hauser, the uh, Robert Zinman Scholar-in-Residence, and thank you for spending some time with us today.